if the gospel is so good, why don't more people become Christians? You ever wonder that? Or if Christianity gives people such an incredible life change, why do some people walk away from the faith that they once professed to believe? Why are there so many different reactions to the gospel? These are the questions that Jesus answers this morning through this brilliant parable of the sower, a truly beloved parable that the church has enjoyed for so many years. We have a lot to cover this morning. This is really like four sermons right here throughout the four (laughs) types of soil. So I'm going to be going through lightning quick. But Jesus here is the sower as he opens up here. But there is only one seed because there is only one gospel. The seed he is he is sowing is the gospel message that he is sowing to these four different fields or types of soil, if you will. And there's only one seed because there's only one gospel. Believing in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How he went to the cross to die for our sins so that all who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. There's only one. There's no variation of it. Which is why there aren't multiple seeds in this parable. And But yet there are four responses to this gospel that are typified in these four soils that Jesus taught through in this beloved parable. They are, and those responses are indifference, shallowness, clutter, and responsiveness. Those are the four responses. And the inescapable question that is directed to each of us this morning is what kind of soil are we? Are you a fertile ground for the gospel to flourish in? Or are you perhaps hindered in some way, even as a Christian? Well, let's jump right into our text and find out. Verse 18, where it says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what had been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, before we even dig beyond that, notice how Jesus has to explain this parable to his disciples. I mean, we read it earlier on in this chapter in the first couple of verses, but he now has to explain it privately to his disciples what it means. That ought to give us hope if we don't understand it right away, because these parables are designed to make us think. Even his disciples and close friends didn't get it right away. So it's okay if it takes us a little bit of time to understand it if we don't get it all at once. But that being said, the first soil Jesus interprets is the seed that fell along the path. Now, to any of you guys who have ever walked through a trail in the woods, you know that nothing grows on that trail. If you walk through it enough times and you tread down that ground, you know, no seeds are going to be able to work their way down through that hardened soil. And Jesus is saying the same thing happens on the pathway that a sower would sow their seeds on. If you sow the same seed in the same area and walking the same path, the ground's going to be nice and hard. And so if the sower dropped any seed along that pathway, 
you might as well be sowing to concrete. Nothing's going to be going through there. (laughs) The seed is just going to sit on the surface until someone or something takes it away. And the point is that that describes someone with a hard heart towards the gospel, where their hearts are like this path that have been tread so so often that there is no room for the gospel to enter their hearts. Since the seed is essentially dead on arrival, it's snatched away by the evil one, it says. Because, I mean, as the enemy of our souls works to hinder people from understanding the gospel and thus being saved. So Jesus is saying one possible response to the gospel is indifference because of a hard heart. And we've been reading a lot about that as we've been discussing the Pharisees. That's a regretfully perfect picture of who he's talking about. And look, we're in a season where we're getting a lot of these hard-hearted responses even here in South Amboy. You know, even, even during our outreaches as we have those speakers set up and we're proclaiming the word of God throughout the city, a lot of people aren't even looking up at us. They're like, oh, the preacher guy? Don't, don't need to pay attention to that guy. Just keep on walking. And there's many reasons why people get to that way. We really can't go exhaustive through that. I mean, some people have been taught to believe, oh, well, I'm a good person. I don't need God. You know, I don't need him to make me a good person. I already am. Which is one of the most, is so regretfully unbiblical and wrong. The Bible says that there is no one who does good, not even one. That we've all fallen short of the glory of God, as Romans 3.23 tells us. Uh, we all, we're not so good that God's going to accept us in the afterlife. We need redemption. That's the point of the gospel. But again, that's how philosophies of this world can harden somebody's heart so they don't even see their need for God. Or others have been taught lies about who God is or what he is like. Or other lies like, oh, science has disproven the Bible. I don't have to believe this. Which is completely untrue, but those are the reasons people disregard the good news. For others, the gospel doesn't just bounce off of the ground, though. But something does happen beneath the surface. The gospel does something for others, but regretfully doesn't go deep enough in this next example Jesus gives us in verse 20. As for the one that's sowed on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This person, typified by this type of soil, does respond to the gospel, but only in a surface-level way. It's best to understand this person as someone who's had an emotional experience with God, but did not experience the deep identity-altering power of the gospel, and thus truly becoming a Christian. Yet for a time, they sure look like they're alive in the faith. I mean, this person, this would be the person who is coming to church, 
attending Bible studies throughout the week and other miscellaneous church events. Uh, Maybe they're signing up to help with the outreaches. Maybe they're the loudest person singing in the church. I mean, because that's that's what emotional experiences make us do. They make us sign up to help with things, and they make us sing from the depths of our hearts the things that we're excited about. That's what emotion does. And by the way, experiencing emotion in our worship, that's not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. It ought to move us as we proclaim and bask in the wonderful things that Jesus has done for us. That ought to move our hearts. But that not be all that it does. Because this person doesn't experience that identity change of darkness to light that we're called to experience as Christians. But their faith is little more than a change in their practical philosophy. Let me explain what I mean. Towards the the latter days of my high school time and my early days of college, I went through a little bit of a one of those power of positive psychology crazes that was happening at the time. You know, just, you know, if you were to come up to me and ask, hey, John, how you doing? Even if it was the worst day, I'd be like, I'm fantastic. I'd basically lie right to your face and say I'm something I'm not. And, but that was the philosophy I was trying out at the time. And, you know, that's not a terrible one. I mean, a lot of us could do better to once in a while look on the bright side of life a little bit more occasionally. But the problem is that's that's all that it was. It was this very surface-level thing for me. It's just this overall philosophy stuff. Um, but as my walk with Christ deepened, I, I discovered, you know, that that's really lying. I'm not fantastic all the time. I'm not happy all the time. But I was able to say it is well with my soul. Because that is always true. That's rooted not in my circumstances, but in what Christ has done for me. (laughs) Another one I like to say when people ask me, hey, how you doing, John? I'm better than I deserve. Because as Christians, we know what we deserved without Christ, without his redemption. And anything better than that, oh, I'm better. That's always true. That's not rooted in my circumstances. So that's better than this pop psychology, positive psychology craze that I went through. But for some people, though, the gospel is, that's all that it is. It's little more than this positive psychology. It's something that sometimes you think of changed the way that you're thinking and you feel a little bit better about your day. But that's all that it is. An exciting new mindset to enjoy today because you're going to have a new one tomorrow. A new worldview, a new philosophy. And look, again, the gospel offers a tremendous amount to us socially. It offers a tremendous amount to us emotionally. But if you only come to Jesus for those surface-level reasons, if the gospel is only to make you emotionally feel better, you're not going to remain a Christian forever. Because you're gonna when that when you realize it comes Christianity comes with a cost, it's gonna you're gonna change your response to this, it tells us. No, that, in, in other words, you'll gain more than you could ever lose by becoming a Christian, but Jesus also said, take up your cross and follow me. We love the idea of forgiveness and grace, but 
people stumble when we realize we're called to repent as well. And these people who fall into this category, they endure for a while. It never specifies the time, by the way. Could be days. Could be months. Guys, it could be decades before it's revealed. But when it becomes, but when suddenly it, the persecution arises on account of the word, it says. In other words, when it becomes inconvenient to be a Christian, they fall away and they renounce what they once believed. Fall away, by the way, in this context means to take offense, to be offended. This isn't somebody losing their faith slowly over time against their will. This is someone who is offended by the gospel and purposely leaves what they once believed. Something happens that reveals they are not rooted in Christ, but maybe in their emotions, maybe in their excitement, who knows. But they're not rooted in Christ, and they fall away. Could be many things. It could be the evolution versus creation debate. And people stumble over that. People in this scientism society that we now live in, people don't want to be identified as creationists. It's got a stigma to it. Even though we have every reason to believe what we believe, some people don't like that. And the the bad words they might be called causes them to fall away. Or it could be other things. Maybe it's the Bible's stance on marriage that causes people to fall away. The fact that homosexuality, the Bible does, in fact, call a sin. Or, as in the cases of other places throughout the world, throughout the history of mankind, actual, literal persecution. People coming and where your faith costs you freedom, or perhaps even your life. Now, we're very lucky in this country, and we don't even realize it. We are so unique to have the freedom to worship the way that we do. This has not been the normal throughout the history of Christianity. It's often been persecuted. We're very fortunate to be living in such a time as this. But when that happens, people fall away when they have to choose between their freedom or their life. Anyway, the, the, the part of this part of the parable gives us a framework to understand these people who've had genuine experiences with Christ and maybe even sat next to us in the pews over the years. And they seem so genuine in their faith and they're, they're not being fake in the way they present, but they fall away because they weren't rooted in the gospel itself. This gives us a framework to understand how that happens. But as for me, Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. There's no shame in believing the gospel. <laughs> when Jesus asked Peter if he was going to leave, when Jesus said something really offensive and the whole crowds were falling away from him, you guys remember what Peter said? Where else will I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. <laughs> I pray that that attitude could be said of each one of us here. But we still have one more soil we need to get through before we talk about that one. Verse 22. As for the what was sown among the thorns, 
This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. For this person, it seems like they have this growing faith, but there's something else growing alongside it. These thorns that are these worldly passions, desires for riches, desire for the things of this world choke and render that plant unfruitful. In all of their ways, who can't expect to gain anything from God. This person wants to fully embrace Christ the way that others do. You want him to be the singular passion of your life that you know you've seen in other people in the church. You you might even hear the pastor say week after week how all-satisfying Jesus is and being in a relationship with him is. But there's other things in your heart that are choking that joy, preventing him from being the all-in-all we know he ought be. For that person, their faith isn't this all-consuming passion, but maybe just a piece of the pie. But that's not what Jesus demands of us. He said just back in chapter 10 of the book of Matthew that whoever loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. Emphasizing the inability that any relationship or passion should compete with our our love for Jesus as first and foremost in our hearts. So this person typified in this soil is someone who has failed that test through the cares of the world and the desires for riches. Keep in mind, this is the type of person Judas Iscariot was. Someone who loved money far more than he ever cared about Jesus. So much so enough for him to steal from the money bag as he traveled with the, with the apostles. We know about that. He even sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And by the way, do you know when Judas made his decision to betray Jesus for money? Mark and Matthew tell us that his betrayal was settled in his heart right after the woman broke that costly perfume that was worth an untold amount of money. That was when he did it because he was advocating that they sell it and then he was going to keep some of that money. It's clear what his motives were through that. You know, many people today start off on the right track, but end up pursuing money and worldly riches with far more zeal than their passion for God. And look, don't get me wrong. Work is a good thing. It is a noble, good, and admirable thing. But if work or anything else in your life becomes the tired excuse of not making Jesus first and foremost in your life, if that's why you're not committed to following him, well, then something is off balanced. Something is wrong. Something in your heart needs to be corrected. And here's the danger of this particular type of soil. This could be true of so many of us, and we don't even know it. Look, I'm I'm not shy to do this. I rightfully pick on the football teams and the cheerleading teams for meeting on Sunday morning. 
Why did it have to be Sunday morning? And that's so unfortunate. And I will rightfully point out that that absolutely falls into this cluttered and compromised soil where people are forced to choose between between God and things of this world. And they choose the things of the other passions that are growing up alongside it. That falls into this category. But many of us are lucky that just our social event of choice doesn't meet on Sunday morning. It's easy to point fingers at them, but what about us? What if some of the things that we do and take joy in throughout our week happen to take place on Sunday morning? Would you be here today? That's a harder question. So yes, let's rightfully point over there, but let's carefully point the finger at us too. Is there anything in our own hearts that is first and foremost above Christ? Because if you have a breaking point in that area, you will have the same problem. But amongst all of this bad news, some do fully respond to the gospel as we quickly wrap up in verse 23. For as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and in another thirty. Out of the four types of people typified in this parable, only this one has a genuine, full, responsive experience with the gospel. Only this one bears fruit. Only this last category truly can call themselves a Christian. Because remember, keeping in mind that parables have a very narrow focus. The goal of the sower was fruit. He's not planting a garden to look at. He's looking for fruit. That's the purpose of what these are being planted for. And these other inadequate soils are marked by many things. We've already talked about them. Indifference. Shallowness. Clutter, but what marks a genuine believer is fruit. Is fruit. And what is that, you might ask? Well, that's written all over the scriptures. I don't have time to fully unpack that, but in short, it's love. It's Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit, and having that manifest in your life and spill over to all other areas of your life. It's the pursuit of personal holiness and sanctification. It's, it's, a, it's giving, it's good works. It's a desire to share this fruit-bearing faith of yours with others. That's the fruit God wants to see. And those are the characteristics of a true Christian, of someone who is letting the power of the gospel take root in their heart and changing them from the inside out. Now, I got to say, you know, no seed when it is planted yields fruit immediately. It takes time. We ought not be legalistic about how fast somebody ought to grow, be producing fruit. And we're going to cover that in Jesus' uh, next parables. It becomes really clear in, uh, in just a few of them. But it will happen eventually for every Christian. We will bear fruit in time if we are in this good soil. 
So the obvious question reemerges. What kind of soil are you this morning? One of these will inevitably describe your overall experience with the gospel. Which one is it? And keep in mind the good news that your answer historically doesn't have to be the same answer when you leave this morning. There's hope for all of us in that regard. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking that, yeah, your worship is exciting, but you long for something more. You know that it's not as deep as it ought to be. You're not producing that fruit that you want to. You can change that beginning this morning. Maybe you'd call yourself a Christian if I asked you, but you know that there are too many other things competing for that number one spot in your heart. You can change that today. Call out to him. Confess where your heart has been less than welcoming to Christ and make that commitment to him today. Don't leave this place before you've settled that business in your heart. And one final application, and then we must close. This really is four different sermons crunched into one. I love that Jesus is making me do this. Even if you are a Christian, even if you do bear much fruit, there are times and seasons where even I go through, I resemble these other ones. You know, I'm no saint in a stained glass window either. There are days when I'm reading my Bible for my own personal devotions and the, the words just bounce off of my heart and my study time is fruitless. I'm just, I'm just reading words for the sake of reading words. That's me kind of having that hard heart and hard understanding. There are other days where I'm really excited about what I'm reading and of having such an emotional experience reading my Bible and seeing how it applies to my life. But then an hour later, the kids are really irritating me. And all of that joy I had just evaporates because it wasn't really rooted as deeply as it ought to be. It'll admit my worship time made me feel something, but it didn't change how I acted that day. Other days, I'm worshiping here at church. I'm putting down the Bible and opening up the hymnal, and I'm worshiping. But then there's other things on my mind, other things creeping in, little distractions, cluttering my mind, so I'm not giving Jesus the focus he deserves to have in my worship. So even if you are a 100 times over fruit-bearing Christian this morning, Let's all make an attempt to declutter our minds so that we can worship God the way he deserves to be worshipped with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's not be so proud or hard-hearted that we don't receive what God would give us this morning in his word. And yes, let's, let's experience the beautiful emotional worship that these services are designed to produce in our hearts. But let's just, let's don't let it stay here. Let's take that emotion, that joy that we have as we worship God and not just experience here, but bring it outside these walls. Let's take it from the sanctuary and bring it to your living room 
Bring it to your kitchen. Bring it to your workplace. Bring it wherever you go this week. And let that fruit just bear wherever it is that you go. Amen, church? Thanks be to God. Amen.